Thanks, Nick. Ooh, I'm a little loud. Often accused of that. There we go. Thank you, guys. Well, I want to ask you a question today. Um, how many of you have ever played golf? Okay, a lot of folk. How many of you have never played golf? About 50-50. Typical Baptist church, we're 50-50. All right. How many of you are like me, and every time you play golf, it's like you've never played golf? All right. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of hands are going up. When I, when I went to college, I developed a habit. Uh, I didn't start smoking or drinking or chewing or anything like that. I developed a habit that was uh, much more addicting and much harder to overcome. I developed the habit of golf. Because, you see, when I was growing up... Uh, we, we really weren't, we weren't country club people. We were country, but not country club. So we didn't have many opportunities to play golf. And I, I started learning to play golf or trying to play golf in college. And I remember one time, mostly I played where it was cheap. You know, the cheapest place you could find. You know, the courses weren't very nice, but it didn't really matter because my golf was not very good. So, you know, just as long as you could get out and hit, it didn't really matter. Well, I remember on one occasion going to uh, Florida to preach a revival. And uh, when the pastor at, the, at that church told me to make sure that I brought my clubs because he had someone there that was going to take us to a really nice place to play golf. And I remember as we were driving in, we got to the place and I could see the sign and the setting. Hey, I knew that this was a little bit above my head. I'd never been to a place like this before. And I remember as we drove up, I was driving, and I got out of the car to go to the trunk, you know, to get my, my clubs like I always do back at the course where I played. And someone said, oh, no, sir, we'll, we'll get that for you. And they take the clubs out, you know, and put them on the cart. And so I go to pull my car to the parking lot, and someone else said, oh, no, sir, we'll park your car for you. And in just a moment, you're pulling in, and, sir, would you like a bottle of water? I mean, they were just treating me like I was somebody. And I'm thinking, you know, I could, I could get used to that. Be nice to be a, a country club where you just basically pulled up and, you know, they probably never let me go back after I, what I did to their course on that day. But I thought, I could get used to this. But, you know, the sad part is, is a lot of folks treat their church like their country club. You know, we give our tithes, which is sort of our membership dues. And because we give our dues and we're members of the club, it's, it's a great place to, to come and, and hang out. And we, you know, with our dues that we pay, we, we, we hire staff, you know, to, to keep things running around the church, to keep programs for our kids and programs for our youth and things for us and and when we go there, we expect for things to be nice and, and, and clean and, and, and entertaining. And then we pay our dues and we, we go to the house and, you know, we've, we've been to the club. Somehow, someway, in 2,000 years since the first century, I think we got off course a little bit, don't you? It seems to me that, that about 50 years ago, we, if, if you're a student of church history or recent church history, something began to happen in the church. Coming out of war, World War II, 
all of a sudden we were faced as a country and as families with more prosperity than we had ever seen before. Some like my grandparents that grew up during a depression, all of a sudden they started getting a little money and all of a sudden even in our churches we, we begin to have more money, our buildings begin to get nicer. And, and we begin to go from, you know, just having a, a, a bivocational preacher that we basically paid with, uh, with eggs and chickens to having a, a full-time preacher. And, and then we begin to hire other church staff that would come and work with our youth and work with our kids and work with our senior adults and work with our Sunday school and lead our worship. And all of a sudden, we went from hardly any staff to multi-staff. And, and then we, we, we begin to, to, to notice that, hey, we had to put on events and we had to have programs and we had to have things that would, that would keep people coming back. And almost as if we begin to think, you know, we've got to compete with the church down the road because our folks might leave our church and go to that church. The problem with that was, was every time we'd do an event, we'd raise the bar, and next year folks would expect the bar to be a little higher, and a little higher, and a little higher. As we, as we look around at the church scene, and we, and, and we look at what's going on after 50 years of that, of thinking that, hey, this is a better plan than Jesus gave us in the first century. We, we look and, and we see some, some, uh, some statistics that were done by Lifeway Research. Uh, Tom Rayner and Ed Stetzer have found these facts. And, and I'm a positive person. I like to be positive. I, I think you find something positive and you, and you focus on it. But some of these statistics, you know, we, we just can't stick our head in the sand. We've got to realize what's going on out there. Might let us see a little bit of how our country has become what it's become. But nine out of ten churches... Not just Baptist churches, but, but churches in general. Nine out of ten are either declining or they plateaued. They're, they're, they're not growing as fast as their population in their city, in their town, in their communities grow. So they're either declining or not growing as fast as the population. Nine out of ten. Now the one out of ten that argues, well at least ten percent are growing. And that's good. But the 10% that are growing, you know where their growth is coming from? The 90% who are declining. In other words, folks are just jumping off a sinking ship into a better ship. And so what we're doing, we're not really reaching people. We're just reshuffling the deck. And every time we reshuffle the deck, the deck gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until the percentage of believers, the percentage of Christians, is, is decreasing every year in this nation in which we live. Now, now the long-term trends of that are, are very evident. Again, Rainer and Stetzer did some research, and, and it, they, they surveyed those who were born before 1946, the builders, the builder generation, we'll call. And of those born before 1946... 67% claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Two out of every three. Not bad. But of those who are in the millennial generation, those born between 1980 and 2000, only 15% claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
in four generations, we went from basically two out of three in this country who claimed to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord to about one out of eight claiming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, somewhere along the way, I think we've got to stop as, as churches in general and think, now, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe this event-driven, attractional model Maybe this isn't working. Maybe with all of the sports programs and camps and concerts and events, maybe all people have been coming to are those things, and then once that's over, they go home. They're not coming to know Christ. Also, another thing that we've seen through this time is while we've been able to hire more staff, it's almost as if since we've hired people to do ministry, then it's almost as if sometimes as the church, like at the country club, it releases us of our responsibility to do ministry. And so we have staff doing more, but then we have church members doing less. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I, I, I want to read to you these verses that I think we would do well to remember today as we talk about God's calling on our life. Would you stand with me as we read from Ephesians chapter 4? We're going to begin reading in verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying or building up of itself in love. Thank you. You may be seated. Brother Tom was sharing last week from Acts chapter 6 that as people were being called out and as the church were calling people out in the, in the New Testament, it seemed like every day the church was multiplying. In stark contrast to what we see in our country today where the church is shrinking year after year after year and our influence is shrinking at an even faster pace. If you listen to mainstream media, you would think that, hey, our influence is totally gone. We don't have any anymore. Could it be that maybe that we've forgotten what Paul wrote to the Ephesians when he talked about you and, you and me as, as, as Christians and, and what calling that we have on our lives? In fact, every person that is saved has a calling. We're all called. We're, we're looking this week at, at men in our church that God may be calling and, and may be setting apart as deacons. 
But whether you're called to be a pastor or whether you're called to be a deacon or whether you're called to be a teacher or, or, or whatever you may be called, the fact is everybody is called. Everybody has a call to membership. Everybody has a call to discipleship. And everybody has a call to a partnership in the gospel. Every believer, men and women, no exceptions to that whatsoever. I, I like what, uh, what Paul talks about here when, when he says there's a, a whole body. Let's talk about that call to membership for a moment. Now, every Christian is called to be a member of the church. You know one of the things that's happening today is people are trying to contrast or trying to separate Christianity and the church. As if the two don't go together anymore. In other words, you can be called to be a Christian, but church is, you know, that's somewhat optional. Never in the New Testament do you find Christianity and the church as being separated. To be called to follow Christ was a call to be a part of the church. It's never optional. So, so the person that says, well, I'm, 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 not a, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church. The New Testament says that ought not be. God calls every member, every Christian to, to, be, a, to be a member of the church. Think about it for a moment. God just doesn't want us to be Lone Ranger Christians. Think about someone that's a tuba player. And he just decides he's going to leave the orchestra and go off on a solo career. Can you imagine going to a tuba concert? Get old in a hurry, right? What about a ball player that says, oh, well, I'm not really on any team. I just show up on Saturday and decide which team I want to play for. And I just get on this team or that team or I just play for the team that has the ball. You know, a lot of people in their Christian life are like that. They just hop and float from church to church to church to church. You know, they're in this church during basketball season and this church during football season, this church during soccer season. This church during camp season, they just float around. Whatever church seems to have the best activities going that month, that's the church they go to. Just like deciding which country club to join. But God calls every Christian to, to be a, a member of church. You say, well, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You're right. It doesn't. Sitting in the chicken house doesn't make you a chicken. And coming to the church house doesn't make you a Christian. But in the New Testament, every believer, every Christian was, was a part of the body of Christ. In fact, the very fact that he called it a body. Now, other organizations have members now. They, they stole that from the Bible. They stole that from the church. But what they forget is when the Bible talks about and uses the term member, it was talking about a limb or an organ. It was talking about a member of the body. If you, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we don't have time to read the whole chapter. I wish we did. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let me read about four verses. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Verse 14. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. Verse 18, I love this verse. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as it pleased him. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. 
See the point that Paul is bringing, and he's picking up on this point in Ephesians, that we're all part of a body. Now, all parts of the body are different, but they're all important. If we were to have time to read all of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul sort of paints a, a, a funny picture of the members of the body saying, well, the eye saying, well, I'm mad because I'm not an ear. And the ear saying, well, I'm more important than you because you're just a nose. Who, who ever heard of a, of a liver just saying, hey, I'm not going to be a part of this body anymore. I'm going to go off and start my own thing. The body has to be together. And every Christian is called to membership in a local church. Now, not everybody's called to be a member here. That's why there's so many great churches in our area. The point is, is finding the place where God's called you and, and, and be a part of it. Because membership is, is important. You say, well, I just don't see the importance of why you've got to have your name on a roll. You know, and there's a part of me that, that agrees with you in that because when we started equating membership with just whether or not you had your name on a roll, we missed the whole point, didn't we? Because if you think about it, you don't have to do very much to get your name on the roll. And you have to do even less to keep your name on the roll. In fact, in most Baptist churches, we won't remove you until five years after you're dead just to make sure you're actually dead. I mean, some folks have their name on several roles. I mean, some get in all denominations. They want to make sure they got all their bases covered. Some folks, it's nothing more than when you die in your obituary, they can say they were a member of such and such Baptist church. And they've equated membership to nothing more than just having their name on a roll. Others, again, going back, just equate it to being like the country club. You pay your dues. You go hang out for a little while on Sunday or Wednesday or, or some other time. And then you expect things to be done well and be done with quality. After all, isn't that what we hire the staff to do? Isn't that what they're paid to do? In fact, many people, notice verse 11 in Ephesians chapter 4. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. If we were to put that in modern day times, we would read that. And he gave some to be, to be pastors and he gave some to be worship pastors and he gave some to be student pastors and some to be children pastors and some to be senior adult pastors and some to be small group pastors. And, and for what reason? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. But what do we do? We read it like this. We, we take a pen, and in verse 12 where it says, for the equipping of the saints, we cross through that. And we read it like this, and he gave some to be pastors and teachers for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Totally leaving out the equipping of the saints. See, the, 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 one of the primary purposes of the church it's for you to have an opportunity to exercise and use your spiritual gifts that God's given to you. And the reason that you call, the reason that you hire pastors and staff is not to do the work of the church. But to equip the church to do the work of the church. To help you to discover and develop and utilize your gifts in ministry. You're saying, well, you're just saying that because staff members are lazy. 
They don't want to work. Hey, it's a lot harder to equip somebody to do it than just do it yourself in the first place. You know that, right? But you see, in the body of Christ, we, we, we work together. We're all called to membership. To be an important part of the body where God places us. But not only are we called to membership, but we're also very quickly, we're called to discipleship. Notice he, 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 he talks about how when, when we're together, when we're being equipped for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, what happens? We, we grow. You see, our responsibility, every believer's responsibility is to be like Christ. We're all a work in progress. We're, we're, we're all in, in process. And our responsibility is to, is to be like Christ. But the reality is, that's why you need the church, is you need other believers to get there. You can't do it on your own. You need pastors and teachers. You need small group leaders. You need accountability partners. Partners. You need people because we, we help one another to grow. Everybody needs equipping and training and coaching. We all need that in the body of Christ. And so we're called to membership, but, but when we get together as members, we, we, we're also involved in, in discipleship. And the result of that is, is, is we, we grow in unity. We grow in knowledge, and we grow to be more spiritually complete, spiritually perfect, spiritually mature. Notice he said that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Can't you just imagine a new believer? And they're going to decide that, uh, hey, I don't have to go to church. I've got so many preachers on TV that I can just get all the, everything I need from the television. <laughs> now you know that you've got everything from this end of the spectrum to this end of the spectrum. In fact, I had a lady tell me one time her two favorite preachers, and I was amazed because one of them was way over here and one of them was way over here. I thought, how in the world do you listen to both of these folks? Because they're, they're, they're telling you two totally different things. Because not everything out there would be what we would consider to be biblical truth right and as we're discipled in the body of Christ we're, we're able to, to, to talk to people about things and, and bounce things off people and, and make sure that, that, we're, that we're staying on base as the Holy Spirit works through his word and as he works through other people new, new believers need a family what, what if, you, if you just let your kids just eat whatever they wanted to eat Friday night we, we took my granddaughter to, to boo at the zoo she got tons of candy. Well, yesterday, all she wanted to eat was candy. So what did I do as her pawpaw? I let her eat candy all day long. I don't care if she goes home wired. I mean, she was so wired, she got a jump rope. She doesn't even know how to jump rope. She's just jumping up and down with the rope. She's fired up. I'm thinking, boy, I can't wait till she gets home. Now, a day of that might be okay. <laughs> but a lifestyle of it would definitely lead to harm, right? And we're called to membership, but we're also called to discipleship. That we, that we grow to be like Jesus. But very quickly, i got to get to the message. Membership discipleship 
And finally, I want you to see partnership. This is the message, partnership. I, I love verse 16. He said, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, by which, notice this phrase, every part does it share. Every part, every member of the body does it share. You know that Indian Springs Baptist Church will only be effective when every part does it share. Now I want you to ask yourself today, and it's between you and the Lord, I don't know. But you ask yourself, Lord, as you ask yourself and the Lord, as a member of Indian Springs Baptist Church, do I do my share? You see, sometimes we think, well, hey, if I give enough money, Tom gets worried when I talk about money. If, when I, if I give enough money, I can sort of buy myself off, right? In other words, instead of giving of myself, I can just write a check. You can't buy yourself out of what God has called you to do. You can't hire somebody else to do what God has called you to do. Now, God's called us to, to give of ourselves, our total selves, which includes our checkbook, but he, he wants us. More than he wants our check. Every member is called to ministry. Every person. I mentioned some stats just a little while ago. Let me, let me share with you what Gallup did a poll about 10 years ago. They polled church members. And in that Gallup poll, they found that out of church members, 10% of people that they polled said that they had a ministry or they were active in a ministry in their church or through their church. 10% of church members. Now somehow that falls way short of God's goal of 100%. Because every member is called to ministry. <laughs> there is hardly a day goes by that one of us on staff do not get a suggestion of a wonderful ministry that our church could be doing, that our church should be doing, that our church ought to be doing. We get tons of suggestions every week. But you know what I found in most of this? It's always about somebody else. It's like, I have this great idea that somebody ought to do. Oh, no, I can't do it. I'm already too busy. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I can't do it. Could it be that, that, that God put it on your heart because he wants to use you to do that ministry? You see, ministry is a partnership with God. Paul, Paul said, I planted Apollos water. God gave the increase. He said, but we're co-laborers together with God. When he wrote to the church at Philippi, he said, Every time I pray, I thank my God because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day even until now. Every member is called to ministry. And another thing, every ministry is important in the body of Christ. You see, sometimes when we think of ministry, we think, well, you've got to be able to preach, and I can't do that. You've got to be able to sing, and I can't do that. You've got to be able to teach a class, and I can't do that. You've got to stay in the nursery, and I don't want to do that. Okay, But ministry involves a lot of things. 
In fact, there's so many people in our church who do things every week that no one ever notices. Now, if they didn't do it, I guarantee you, you would notice that it wasn't done. No one ever notices those guys that come and cut grass on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. But if you showed up after about six weeks and the grass is this deep, you would notice and say, hey, when's somebody going to cut this grass? Most people don't know who those guys are. They probably never get thanked for it. But thank goodness they do it because that's what God has laid on their heart to do. And there are opportunities. Every ministry is important. Also, we all have different gifts and talents and abilities to perform different ministries. That's why God made us so different. And instead of that being a, 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 something that divides us, it ought to be something that unifies us. Thank, thank goodness that we can all do different things. Hey, if we have a problem with our network, I guarantee you nobody calls me. We call Scott. He knows something about a network. If we have, if we have a problem with our air conditioning, nobody asks me to look at it. I can say, hey, it's working, not working. Call Bubba. We all have different gifts, talents, abilities, but it's important. That's why God placed us all in the body. I mean, think about it for a moment. You, you could go back to this and, and just look at this set of golf clubs. My mother, who knows absolutely nothing about sports of any kind, when I started playing golf, she said, well, why do you got to carry all those? Can't you just pick out one and go play with it? Obviously, she doesn't understand anything. Some of you may be thinking the same thing, right? Why does my husband keep spending money on new clubs every single year? Surely, they're going to have to make him better after a while. But think about it for a moment. If this, if this set of clubs is our, is our church, okay, here's the driver. Okay, it's, the big, it's Tom right here, the big dog. Okay? Let the big dog eat, right? It's a Tom. Hey, but everybody can't be the big dog. Everybody can't just go around teeing off on everybody, right? Everybody can't be the big dog. I mean, they're, they're different people because, hey, if you get in the sand, you, you don't want to pull out your driver, do you? You, you want to put, you, you need your sand wedge for that, right, to, to get out. Or, or if, you know, you need somebody that when you get to the green, you need somebody that's a putter that's just going to finish the deal, right? Just put along until you get there and just, and just put the ball in the cup. Different clubs are made and shaped for a, for a different purpose. Part of learning golf is learning what club to use and in, in, in what situation. And it's the same in the body of Christ. Some are drivers, some are wedges, some are putters. I think I'm the one, the extender, that gets your ball out of the water. You know, when you reach out there, that's my favorite club in the bag, the one I use the most. But it takes different people, Right? We all have different gifts, different abilities, different talents, and, and together we make up the body. We, we, we make up the church. You see, you can't be like Jesus unless you're serving in ministry. You, you can't be like Jesus. Because Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 28, to his disciples, he said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And give his life as a ransom for many. Our goal is to be like Jesus. You can't be like Jesus if you're not serving. And that's all ministry is, is service. 
Isn't it amazing sometimes, especially in Baptist life, we, we, think, a mini, we think if you're going to have a ministry, that means you've got to show up at the church and eat, sing a couple songs, have a speaker, and go to the house and say, wow, that was a wonderful ministry. Great men's ministry, great women's ministry, great student ministry. All we did was show up and eat and go to the house. We didn't really minister. Ministry takes place in the building. Ministry takes place outside the walls. As his church. You see our goal. Our job. The reason that, that we have pastors and teachers and staff members. This verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. You see that same poll that said only 10% are involved in ministry. Showed some other things. There are 50% of people that they interviewed said. No I have no ministry in my church. And I don't intend to have one. 50%. That basically said. Hey I'm just going to sit soak and sour. That's all I'm going to do. Hey, and if you're in the 50%, that's okay. I'm, I'm not going to try to change your mind. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit can't change your mind, I can't change your mind. Okay? That's up to you if you just want to sit and do nothing. But you know what's encouraging about those stats? Is that, well, 10% were, 50% says we're not and we never will. 40% said, no, we're not serving, but we would like to if we just knew how. If we just knew what was needed to be done. If we just knew how we could get involved. Now that excites me that 40%. Think about it. If you add that 40% to the 10% who are already serving, that's five times as many people serving in the body of Christ as we have right now. And that's our goal as pastors and teachers. That's our job. If we're not equipping saints for ministry, we're not doing our job. Our goal is to help you discover your gifts and develop your gifts and deploy them in ministry. That's what we're here to do. It's not just filling slots or finding volunteers. But it's helping and enabling you to do what God has called you to do. Just as you help and enable us to do what God has called us to do. Hey, but to be equipped very quickly, you've got to be fat. We've got to have fat people. We've got to have people who are faithful. We've got to have people who are available, and we've got to have people who are teachable. You've you, you got to be faithful. In other words, if you're going to be involved in ministry, you've got to be focused and disciplined in what God has called you to do. You've got to be available. You know, there are a lot of people think they're being faithful if they just show up about every once, every six to eight weeks. You know, if you're going to be involved in, in, in ministry, you've you got to be more available than that. And you got to be teachable. You see, none of us are at the point where we don't need to learn more. Where we don't need to grow more. Where we don't need to be encouraged more. You know, sometimes we think, boy, I wish God would use me in something big. Do you know what Jesus said about that? He said, I'll never use you in anything big until you find yourself faithful in doing something small. You've got to be faithful in the little before you'll be faithful in the big. That's like the person that says, if I win the lottery, I'll start tithing. <laughs> if you're not tithing now, you won't tithe when you win the lottery. Because if you're not faithful in the little, you won't be faithful in the much. did a little few years ago, not at this church, but another church, I, I, I did a little test. 
on the sidewalk out front, right in front of the steps where you come into the main worship center, I threw out an empty Coke can and an empty potato chip bag. People literally had to step over it to get into the church. And I just watched. You know, 30 people stepped over that before one finally bent down picked it up anybody could have done it those coming for the club though they knew we had people paid to do that but somebody saw hey there's a need there's an opportunity there's a ministry probably nobody ever noticed but they just been over never said anything about it I halfway thought he was going to come and say, see, preacher, y'all not taking care of this building like you should. But he just picked it up and went on in. An old story, I'll close with it. You probably heard it. It's very, very old. It's a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There's important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. You see, in the body of Christ, we all have opportunities to meet. You don't have to be voted on. In fact, when the whole body of Christ stands up to do what God has called us to do, there are going to be ministries that we're going to start that we've never even had before. That we've never done before. Because God's called and gifted and put that vision, that passion on your heart. What about His call on your life today? Maybe it's a call to membership. You, you know this is a church where you need to be a part, and, and you've been coming, you've been attending, but for whatever reason, you just hadn't taken that official step. If God's saying this is the part of the body where he wants you to serve, you need to come today and just, just make that official. Hey, Pastor, I'm coming, and I'm coming to, not just to have my name on a roll, but I'm coming to serve alongside you and serve in the body of Christ here at Indian Springs. You need to do that today if this is where God wants you to be. Some of you, the callings to discipleship. Because really, the only spiritual food you get every week is at 1045 on Sunday morning. Hey, one physical meal a week certainly won't satisfy you. And maybe your commitment today to the Lord is in the discipleship is to develop a quiet time with Him every day and to get involved in a small group because we need one another in the body of Christ. And again today, maybe your call is to get involved in the partnership. God's challenging you. He's calling you and saying you need to be doing something. You need to be serving in the body of Christ. You need to be serving through the body of Christ. Don't sit back and say, Lord, find somebody else. Lord, use somebody else. Just say, Lord, show me what you want me to do. And I'll put myself in a position where I'll make myself available and work alongside people to get it done. Would you bow your heads just a moment? Nick's going to be coming here to the front. Tom and Mark and I will be standing here at the front as well.
And whether you step out and come or whether you make that commitment in your seat, it doesn't matter because you're making that commitment to God. But would you just say, Lord, I answer your call. I want to be a part of the body that does its share. I don't want to be a freeloader that's just riding on the coattails of everybody else. I don't want to be one of those believers that just expect to be blessed and never look for the opportunity to be a blessing. I want to answer your call, Lord. Membership, discipleship, partnership in ministry. Would you make that commitment as we stand and as Nick leads us as we sing?